Today's episode is brought to you by Jellystone Designs, the multiple award-winning innovative industry leader in creating functional, safe, and fun silicon teethers and toys for babies and toddlers. Jellystone Designs are Australia's favourite silicon shoes for nurturing well-being and curiosity and experts in facilitating children's sensory play. Get yours today at jellystonedesigns.com.au. Hello and welcome. Well, every parent knows the pain of mealtimes with children and that they can sometimes feel a little bit like a roller coaster ride. You know, trying to keep children's emotions in check can sometimes feel literally like juggling spaghetti while riding a unicycle. <laughs> you know, one moment they're ecstatic about their food, favorite food being on the on the plate, and next they're crying because their broccoli touched their mashed potatoes. <laughs> You know, one second they're happily gobbling down their meal and then next they're wailing because their sandwich is is shaped like a rectangle and not a triangle. Go figure. (laughs) You know, managing these emotional whirlwinds really requires the patience of a saint, the creativity of a master chef and the ability to perform magic tricks that transform ordinary vegetables into delicious superpowers. (laughs) You know, we all quickly learn to become a master in negotiation, offering bribes of dessert and creative distractions of, let's say, talking carrots. (laughs) But hey, the satisfaction of seeing them eat happily makes all of this all worthwhile. You know, jokes aside, managing children's strong emotions during mealtimes can pose a challenge, yet it remains crucial to establish nurturing and uplifting atmosphere that in- encourages children to freely express their feelings around dinner time or any meal, for, like I guess in general. Now, to help us better understand how we can do this, I am so excited to welcome one of our partners here at Kittypedia, Miss Sinead from Food is Cool. Welcome. How are you doing? Yes, good. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for having us. Now, for everyone watching and listening, just a little bit about our guest. Sinead has over a decade's experience in education and and is passionate and an experienced teacher, author, educational leader, and professional development facilitator. Now, she has a really strong background in educational leadership roles and puts an emphasis on communication and leading strong and passionate teams. And together with Dr. Flav, they deliver a fun and engaging nutritional program for kids aged two to six called Food is Cool that is aimed at teachers and parents to help with engaging children with food in the most meaningful and positive way possible. Thanks for joining us. Um, This is really exciting. This is our first chat. Um, and I've just uh, recently spoken with Dr. Flav and we've we've learnt more about the Food is Cool program. Um, so this is super exciting. Um, but, you know, on this subject, I guess, you know, pretty much every parent understands just the agony of witnessing their children grappling with big emotions during mealtimes. Um, and it is, I guess, a universal experience that often leaves so many parents like grandparents, carers, anyone that's around mm. children at mealtimes, really feeling sometimes quite helpless, but very empathetic. Mm. And of course, just eager just to find ways to support and comfort them. But I'd love to know, you know, from your your perspective, like why do you personally think it's so common that children experience just really big feelings around food in general? 
Well, it's, there's so many opportunities for um, children to have a meltdown at mealtimes because we have so many meals through it. Every day we're having um, three meals potentially together. Um, and there's such a strong emphasis right from the very beginning. Um, you know, are we child-led weaning? One of the first questions you're asked in mum groups or by family is, oh, what was their first food? What are you doing? Oh, no grains before one. Oh, baby-led weaning. Oh, puree. There's yep. so much emphasis on it. And we all value nutrition because we know how important it is for our children. And we want our children to have um, a positive relationship with food. We just don't realize that some of the strategies that we're doing that are ingrained in us, um, often generational, um, are actually putting a lot of pressure on children. And that pressure um, can cause these meltdowns at mealtimes. Do you think that children just commonly experience like these strong emotions around food just, I guess, due to just like a, a variety of factors? Firstly, I guess mealtimes often bring together different tastes and textures, which can be for some children um, overwhelming. Um, and, and and I guess in, in that sense that they are developing their palate. Like, what are your thoughts with that? Yes. Well, there's lots of reasons that children can express big emotions at mealtimes. And often the things we think of are, well, often parents get offended. You know, I've just made spaghetti bolognese. You ate it yesterday and now you're having a meltdown at the meal table today. Like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, nothing's happened. And, and to us, we're thinking nothing's happened. Nothing's different. And sometimes we could think, oh, they might be over hungry or they're not hungry. Maybe it was a poor transition in. I just flicked off Bluey and said, come to the table. Um, I didn't give them enough prep. They could be tired. They could be overstimulated. They could have had a stressful experience with a meal time in the past. But some of the reasons that we don't think of is that children actually project their emotions. So while they're having a meltdown at the meal time at 6 p.m., at 10 a.m., they could have been in the sandpit at preschool and another child came over and took the shovel off them and ran away. Your child's held on to that, come home got to the dinner table they're with their safe person you in their safe space and they just let it out and you're thinking what's going on just eat your spaghetti let's get dinner bath bed going uh, but they're having this meltdown and you can't work out why and it could be just a projection of emotions um, yeah. so that's one thing to be mindful of and to feel honored you know you're your child's safe space they feel safe to be able to have these meltdowns with you because they know at the end of it you're still going to love them you're still going to be there um, it could also be a lack of power. So a child doesn't have a lot of power or control over their day. They often don't choose when they wake up, what they wear, what they have for breakfast. They then get in their car seat, go to preschool, don't have a lot of choice there. Um, preschools are really good at um, empowering children to have a sense of um, autonomy and sense of agency. But still, there's not a lot of control or power that they have in their day. So when they get home at the end of the day, one of the things they can control is whether they eat or not, or whether they have a meltdown or not at mealtime. So by simply giving them a bit more power and control during mealtimes, that can kind of alleviate that meltdown um, before it happens. Yeah. So filling up their power cup, just like we want our power cups to be filled, they do too. Yes. <laughs> so that's some of the reasons why we could have a meltdown at mealtime. <laughs> I guess children are still exploring their likes and dislikes with food, just like us too, um, you know, and leading yeah. to moments of resistance or aversion to certain foods. But I guess meal times can also carry, you know, depending um, on the family unit, it can carry social and cultural expectations causing all different types of pressure and anxiety. 
of course, they vary across so many different societies and families, of course. But like, for example, I don't know, they, children may feel pressured to eat a certain food or finish their plate, which I was just talking earlier to, to Dr. Flav about, um, that that is just something that we've heard for, for eons, for generations, finish your plate of food. Um, and thinking, you know, with those beliefs around nutrition or wastefulness, you know, but I guess they might, this can actually bring up anxiety in children um, if there are strict rules and judgments around table manners or eating habits um, and so many different cultural norms around mealtime behaviour as well, you know, sitting quietly or engaging in, you know, specific rituals. Um, I guess maybe some of these things obviously can cause um, some stresses in, in children as well. I don't know peer influences, but um, but as you just said before, it's, you know, hearing what you were saying, moreover, I think children use food as a means of control or expression, um, which yeah. can sort of lead to outbursts. So that's what I was sort of hearing what you're saying. But um, yeah, it's it's very, very interesting. Now, before we sort of dive into some of the questions, I really wanted to acknowledge we have a fantastic article of yours that we published. Um, and the title of that is Supporting Big Emotions in Children at Mealtimes. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us a little bit about what the article is about and what inspired you guys to write it? Yeah, sure. So at Food is Cool, we've got a, um, a support group, a forum for parents, and that's a common question. Um, my child's having meltdown at mealtimes and I don't know what to do. So we thought um, just sharing some insight as to why and then some strategies on how to support it might um, help parents to, to keep their cool during mealtimes and realise that they're not alone. You know, there's so many parents experiencing the same thing. You know, I guess the million-dollar question really is, you know, what is the key to supporting hungry children at mealtimes? Do you have any tips and advice for that at all? <laughs> yes, as hard as it is, consistency. Consistency is key. And also um, making the mealtime a ritual, not a routine. So the difference between a routine and a ritual is that um, the mindset behind the action so while routines are um, merely things that we that need to be completed, like brushing our teeth twice a day, a ritual is something that has a sense of purpose. Uh -huh. So inviting our children to a mealtime ritual um, and calling it that um, creates a, yeah, that's a real sense of purpose. So rituals provide people with a sense of belonging um, and a routine just happens. So we have to brush our teeth every day. That's just something we do. But a routine allows children a sense of agency so that they're actively involved in it. So, for example, um, mum sets the table and we all come to the table and eat when we're told to. Whereas a uh, ritual, the children uh, make their design and make their own placemat. And then at mealtimes, children as young as two and three can go and get their placemat and put it on the table. Um, just actively involving them in that little snippet of time is enough to create, you know, a ritual. Or we light a candle at the dinner table and we all talk about the candle as we're lighting it or something that just creates it, the authenticity of a ritual um, can have real impact on yeah, supporting those that, that consistency. Yeah. And I guess being, as you said, being consistent, as you just said, but being mindful, I guess, of the language being used and, and explaining that clearly to children. I think if they can 
if they understand it and they understand that there's, there's purpose behind it, um, that obviously makes it a lot more easy for them to understand why it's happening and why they're not over playing with their Lego in the corner or whatever it is that, that they were doing before that they have to sit down and eat, <laughs> of course. Yes. And of course, you know, always a big thing around mealtimes is just stages of fatigue um, and just general mood swings mm. and those types of things, being tired. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, well, we are too, as parents, you know, it's the end of the day. Yes. You've just prepared dinner, um, whether it's some noodles or a roast, you've put time, thought and energy into it. Um, and you know how important it is for your child to, you know, have a full tummy before they go to bed because it's what everyone talks about. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important to be consistent in boundaries. Um, and and yeah. with, so children uh, thrive when they meet with a sorry. Yeah, no, but I was just going to ask you about boundaries in in general. Like, what tips do you have then for parents on having boundaries? Um, I guess and being consistent about, about that language, just as an extension on what we're just talking about. Yeah. Yes. So when our food is cool. Um, support group for parents we've got a script which is step by step how things to follow to say to keep that boundary and you'll feel like you're saying it on repeat but you are you need to that's the consistency so children thrive when they're met with consistency and clear communication yeah. so it's about being really clear um, we use a model called sports casting and it's where we we really um validate what the child is saying so we say I can hear you you don't want to eat carrots I hear you you don't want carrots I can see that it's making me really upset but also acknowledging and allowing your child the opportunity to express themselves so they might have a meltdown and that's okay it's normal and just to remind yourself these emotions my child is experiencing is normal and they're safe to experience them with me I'm going to let them experience this I'm not going to tell them to stop crying I'm not going to put them in the room by themselves I'm just going to let them let it out and be here for them and validate them so I can hear that you're really upset you didn't want carrots on your plate I can hear you you want a muffin um, and then shift it to a yes so hold your boundary they're, they're not having the muffin it's not on the menu but <laughs> hold that boundary and say we've got pasta because you know that they like pasta it's a safe food for them so we've got pasta, you've got carrots, and I can hear that you don't want carrots, but then shift it to a yes. We can have that muffin tomorrow in your snack box. Ah. No, we can have muffins. We're going to have a muffin tomorrow. So then you've just shifted the whole energy from a, I hear that you don't want carrots. We're not having the muffin right now, but yes, you can have the muffin tomorrow. Here, would you like me to help you put it in your snack box in the fridge ready for tomorrow? So you're shifting it to, yeah, you can have the muffin, but not right now because it's not on the menu. And then you are being consistent. And children, like I said, they thrive in consistency and they love boundaries. They just need to know where the boundary is because they'll go right to that boundary, push right up to it, Give them and an then they'll, they'll go, okay, there it is. Yes. So they need to feel where it is. Great advice. Now, mm. I wanted to expand on this also. Um, you've mentioned that it's important to, to develop your child's sense of agency and allow them to yes. have a sense of belonging during mealtimes um, that allows them to par participate as much as possible. Can you just expand on yes. examples of this? I would love to know. Yeah. So this doesn't have to be Instagram perfect. You know, you see families on Instagram where the children are in the kitchen in a little apron and everything is perfect and looks beautiful. doesn't need to look like that because that's not reality for most 
working families or families in general. So it can be as, like I said earlier, the children can create a placemat, you know, get a piece of printer paper, get them to colour it in, laminate it if you can, if not. That's theirs. They've made it. Now they've got a sense of belonging at the dinner table. They might want to make one for you as well and um, or do it together. And then they pick it up, put it on the table. Then that's given them their space. This is my space at the table. I have a sense of belonging here. I'm an active member in this family and in this household. Um, and then they're more likely to want to eat because they're there together. So that's one example. Another example could be... Um, Allowing your child to participate in meal planning. Mm. You know, get a weekly planner. Um, Tuesday, what are we going to have for dinner today? What are we going to make on Tuesday? Um, participating in the grocery shopping. You know, you go to the, the grocery shop and you're in the vegetable section and say to your child, okay, I need you to find me one orange and one yellow vegetable. And we're going to make that in our dinner tonight. So it's giving them that sense of agency, which is a sense of um, – <clears throat> pride and sense of belonging where they are actively contributing because we want them to be valued members of society so let's start in the home and allow them to be valued members in our home so it could be helping with food preparation and I know a lot of parents are like oh my gosh at the end of the day the last thing I want is my child in the kitchen with me preparing a meal um but it could be really it could be really simple you know you they can put the pasta in the pot or they can um, you know, we have to make it safe as well for them. So before the boiling water goes in, they yes. pass it in the pot. Or they can um, slice the cheese. You know, something very simple where they're still feeling they can put the salt in the pot, very little, but actively involving them. So uh, what could be that you allow your child to serve themselves so then they can see how much they're putting on the plate. You know, how much pasta would you like? Let's use a spoon. You can put two scoops, three scoops, Um Little things like that can really help them to be actively involved. So what I'm hearing you say, it's about giving your child some sense of power um, in, in that meal meal prep and, and, and I guess, the as you said, the ritual of, of eating as well. Um, but asking them, as you just said, to help either set the table or ask them to help prepare or cook the food safely um, or even maybe, you know, pick out what, what plates they want to eat from. Um, in the article, you mentioned also, um, and as you've just suggested now, that, um, to serve them, um, you know, one safe food or, you know, have them actually scoop out, you know, what they're, they're, they're serving that they they want to eat. Um, but it, I like this part of the article. You said, well, remaining cool, <laughs> in, introduce the new food, yes. remembering the golden rule not to talk about the food. And this is something that I really want to, deep dive into in a moment it's just um simply I guess having it on the plate and letting the child explore it so can you tell me a little bit more um about that and you know you mentioned to talk about anything else but the food like why is this so important (laughs) yeah okay well for example you you sit at the dinner table with your partner or your, your, yeah, your partner, and you've made um, a roast, you don't sit at the table and look at your husband's plate and say, uh, are you going to eat that coom- Are you going to eat that sweet potato? Because um, I made that sweet potato. I know you like sweet potato. Why aren't you eating the sweet potato? Or you wouldn't say, uh, you need to eat your peas before I give you more corn. So you wouldn't do this. Flavia says you wouldn't do this to a dinner party guest. So while we're doing it to our child, so it's just about taking that pressure off your child and creating meal times as a time for connection. So talk to your child about anything but the food. You know, this is a perfect opportunity 
they pull that connection, um, actively listen, look at them. Um, and yeah, so it's really important to not talk about the food because that just adds pressure to the child. And we don't do that to other people. So why are we doing it to our child? Um, so that's what, yeah, why we say talk about anything but the food. It's funny, as you were just saying that, I was putting myself into that scenario. Um, and as soon as you were saying that, I was feeling what it would feel like if if that was being said to me at the dinner table, just to empathize and connect with it. And it was as soon as you said that, it was like there was a knot in my stomach. Yeah. As soon as you as soon as you said that, of course, because you know physiologically our brain and our stomach are connected. So that pressure yes. that was you know I was feeling in my mind naturally just transferred straight to my stomach. Um, so that actually just makes sense. Is that if you talk about anything else but about the like but the food, if you just taking away all pressure um, and actually make it as fun and as positive. Um, and lively as possible. Um, that yeah. that that makes sense because we eat when we're happy, don't we? Naturally, it's just just one of those yeah. things. Yeah. But and um, research shows that you more the more you tell a child to, to eat something, the less they're going to. Yes. Going yeah. To. And I, I, but I, we also I, want to look at things like. Sorry. No, no. I was just going to say. We I'm obviously just, want to look at things like food waste as well. You know, we don't want to waste yeah. food by offering new food. Um, so it could be something as simple as buying a bag of frozen peas and putting three peas on the plate every night. You'll have to do it up to 20 times, but your child will eventually eat it. Okay, so, so it's just about the consistency and offering it. So is that just the fact that um, I, I love that concept, so introducing new foods through consistency. So if it is, as you said, peas or if it's broccoli or whatever it is, is it just the fact that they just constantly see it there and then at some stage they're like, oh, it's there again. I should just eat it, type of thing. Or exposure. Ah, tell me a little bit more about All this. About exposure. Yep. So, um, exposure. It's, I, I need to check with Flavia, but I think it's six to six to fourteen times, um, up to twenty times. You offer the new food, and that a child's exposed to it, and they'll eventually try it. So it could be you feel like you're doing it a million times. Like you feel like I've put these peas on this plate for four months straight, but it's not. It just feels like that. So just be really consistent in offering it. Um, could be you want your child to be exposed to broccoli. So you put broccoli in the middle of the table and just leave it there and your child will be able to eventually feel it, touch it, look at it, be exposed to it. And then, you know, we don't want to try anything new for the first time. It's a bit scary to try something new. We want to be exposed to it first and smell it and feel it and you know, what is that? What is this new food? Um, so yeah, just allowing your child to be exposed to it while being mindful of food waste, of course. It's so funny you said the six to 14 times, because that's a stat that mm. has stuck out in my mind for many years, but in the advertising space, if we think about it as adults, just so we can sort of connect oh, yeah. with it. If we say there's a new brand of clothing, let's just say hypothetically, we're not necessarily going to go out and buy that line of clothing immediately unless it's just something that we, we've been already looking for. The point I'm saying, and the reason I'm saying this is that the six to 14 times is generally how many times that we need to be able to see a brand or see something for it to, to sort of go into our subconscious and our long-term memory. So it becomes a, a, just a given in our subconscious that we know 
like and trust that particular brand. Um, those stats from advertising perspective may have shifted since I, I remember reading that article a few years ago, purely because we're just over bombarded constantly with advertising in every way, shape or form. Um, but if we think about it and try to empathize with that as parents, as carers, um, that w- we ourselves need to be able to see things more than once before we're likely to try something new, especially if we've got some strong aversion to it. So that um, completely makes sense. So thank you for sharing that um, that tip. Um, now, I just wanted to know also if you had any other tips, um, how parents just generally, and just going back to the, to the craziness that I was saying at the start of the interview today, mm-hmm. but just for them to remain calm if big emotions arise, because of, of course, you know, for all of the reasons that we mentioned before, these things happen on a daily basis. So what, what's your advice? So yeah, just from remaining calm and being confident in what you're offering. So knowing your child's got their safe space on their, their safe food on the plate so something that you know they like and they're going to eat whether it's plain pasta or chicken nuggets whatever they whatever they like and are familiar with you know that that's there and you've offered a new food and just be really confident about it and remember the golden rule don't say anything about the food don't mention it just if you don't say anything about it they've got no pressure on them and just you'll see the magic happen um so mealtimes are an opportunity for connection so remember your your child's safe space so if if big emotions do arise, just remember, you know, you can say you can say a mantra in your head. You can take a deep breath. Just remember that it's normal for your child to express these emotions, and we want them to express these emotions, and we want them to know it's okay to show these emotions. Yeah. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to put you in your room away from us. I'm going to. I'm just going to be here. Just let it out, and when you're done, come up to the table. Um, and remember, it's normal, totally normal for your child, and to. Uh, for us as parents to remain calm and keep a reassuring tone and just be very factual I hear that you don't want the carrots I can hear you you know I see I see you're really upset about it um carrots are on the menu today you know we'll put the muffin in your lunchbox for tomorrow yes you can have it just remain really calm really consistent and show empathetic show empathy you know have an empathetic Yep. expression on your face you know it is upsetting for them they you know we, we're, we're really quick to roll our eyes and be like oh gosh you liked carrots last week you know it's just a carrot no it's not just a carrot to them it's something new it's something that they can't control it's something that they didn't want there and now they've got it so just let them let it out and just be really calm really reassuring I hear you I'm you know validate their emotions but also self-awareness you know self-awareness for your triggers um, a lot of us grew up in households where we had to eat everything on our plate. If we didn't want the carrots, well, we were sitting there till we ate the carrots. Well, yeah. Or we were having the carrots for breakfast if we didn't eat them. Um, so, yeah, just just being aware of our own triggers and our own stresses. You know, it's the end of the day. We're tired. We've got a lot going on. We've got a million things that we have to do before bedtime. But just being really calm and reassuring to them, I think, is the biggest ones and validating their emotions. Yeah. Meeting, meeting our children with empathy. Yep. And, and and that's what I'm sort of hearing what you're saying as much as possible is to to acknowledge that you see them and that you hear them and you acknowledge mm-hmm. their feelings. And that just goes, you know, as you're saying all of it, I'm connecting with that and I'm just feeling a sense of calm. Um, 
which naturally is calming my stomach and calming, my, you know, my nerves is going to allow me to want to eat more. Um, and the minute that you yeah. said some of that more stressful stuff about whatever it was or you haven't eaten or whatever, naturally that's putting a big bit of resistance in that path of trying to get them to to go down and <laughs> to eat those veggies or whatever it is. So, you know, acknowledging that you see them, um, you hear them, you acknowledge how they're feeling and giving a sense of calm. Um and I just wanted to acknowledge in your article, you also list four strategies, um, like for to help parents keep their boundaries. Could you maybe just quickly go through them with us now? I'd love that. Sure. Yep. So just actively listening, actively listen to your child um, when they're expressing their emotions and give them your full attention. I know it's really hard at the end of the day, but as much as you can um, without interrupting them. Um, validating their feelings, as we said, acknowledging what they're going through and use positive um you know, positive reinforcement, praise them when they are, um, uh, you know, talk about praising them in, about anything other than the food. So just like we don't say to them, you need to eat your kale, we don't then when they do eat the kale, be like, yay, you ate the kale, well done. So positively reinforcing anything other than them eating the the food because okay. <laughs> um, that's giving, that's them putting a hierarchy on the food. Um, so, yeah, just... That'll make them feel appreciated and make them feel confident. So when they set the table, they bring up their placemat. Oh, great, you've brought in your placemat. You know, you're, you, this is your space. This is where you're going to sit. So positive reinforcing anything around the mealtime other than them eating or not eating. Yep. Um, and then to offer choices. So, again, would you like the blue plate? Would you like the green plate? Would you like to use a fork or a spoon? Something as simple as that or this sippy cup or this Giving sippy them cup. a sense of power um, through their choices. Power. Power. And then um, the fourth one is to just encourage mindfulness. So if your child is experiencing big emotions, you know, we could do breathing strategies or um, by validating them, that should be mindful because then they're aware of their emotions. Yeah, I am upset and you're validating that. So I'm acknowledging that I'm feeling that um, for, yep. for when they're feeling <clears throat> overwhelmed. So those yep. are the four that and we put in. But there's so many. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I think an overarching message really is just to stay calm and important to model yeah. calm and positive behaviours in general for your, for your, for your children and, and keeping in mind that each child is unique. Um, every situation, every day um, of experience is is going to be different and discovering effective approaches to help your children just navigate those strong emotions. As you said, it is a safe, safe space. So during mealtimes, mm-hmm some of that sort of stuff on a day-to-day basis is going to require some experience, you know, for ability for us to experiment and to adjust to to what the day is. But if the consistency is around the ritual of eating and, and mealtimes, it's calm and it's positive, I think that's that's a really, really powerful message that you've um that you've shared with us today. And it's important just to remain patient, as you said earlier, and just foster a really positive atmosphere. Uh, and just prioritize, I guess, establishing that safe and nurturing environment where where the children feels encouraged just to freely express their thoughts and emotions, and with those with those thoughts and emotions to, to acknowledge that you see them and you hear them with empathy and with love and with kindness. Now, um, I guess for anyone watching and listening, if you were to summarize your key messages today, what would they be? Um, meet your child with consistency and clear communication. And love empathy. that and empathy okay yeah. cool you're doing well you're doing yes. you're doing your best and you are the best parent for your child and you're doing an amazing job just love remain that. cool 
And if anyone's got any questions for you or Dr. Flav and would like to learn more about the Food Is Cool program, whereabouts can they find you guys? Yeah, so we're on we're on all social social media platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and our website, foodiscool.com. So we've got a private Facebook group for free. It's free. It's got support, advice, tips, and tricks from Flavia and myself, um, and it's all evidence-based, um, science-backed. It's not just um, our opinion. It's all backed by evidence. Science and research. And I know that you guys did a research study as well, which I've spoken to Dr. Flab about. So we'll try and have all of those links in the show notes and your fantastic article. But Sinead, thank you so much for your time today. I really love speaking with you. And I think there were some really important messages in the chat, but take care. And I look forward to chatting with you again in the not too distant future. Take care. Great. Thank you, Rachel. Bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone, and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids. 